Yeah, thanks very much, Kirsten. Uh, very grateful for this opportunity to come along and contribute to the seminar series. Uh, I'm also grateful to Rachel, um, who sent you the flyer, if you saw it, who, who came up with that cartoon um, with all various little, I don't know if you managed to read it, concept maps and work required learning and all sorts of other things. Um, so I have, since Rachel put it on, on the flyer, I thought maybe I might as well put it in the presentation for continuity's sake. And if we're done for copyright, I might as well join her in that. In that. Um, okay. Uh, the background to this, well, what I'm a, a, assuming is that none of you will have escaped uh, an encounter with a learning styles inventory. Uh, one of those forms, may probably, probably did it on paper, you may have done it online, where you answer various prompts and it tells you your learning style. Um, yeah, some people shaking their heads, okay, some people nodding, all right, okay. Um, well, uh, the teaching styles inventories I've been talking about, um, you will have worked out, have come about by way of analogy from, the learning, from learning styles, but as with all analogies, possibly problematically as well. I'd better then uh, tell you a little bit about how these things work, for the, particularly for the benefit of the people who've never encountered one of these inventories before. You'll, you may have remember from that very long title that legislators was one of the labels. Well, that comes from uh, Grigorenko and Sternberg's categorizations of thinking styles in teaching, and they have an inventory, and you go through this inventory, and it comes up with various categorizations that are associated with the person completing the inventory. So that's where I got legislators from. Um, here's some of the other examples. If you have a quick look through them, you'll, you'll probably find the straight facts, no-nonsense teacher somewhere up there. Um, and if you can remember that the other one in the title was delegator, you'd be doing extremely well, and that's up there as well. So straight facts, no-nonsense teacher appears as one of the categories in this Staffordshire Evaluation of Teaching Styles and delegator over there. But there are others, and I came across them uh, when working at uh, Warwick Medical School on the Masters in Medical Education. Um, they, were, they were, seemed to be cropping up in a lot of places. Uh, the kind of half-day workshops or short faculty development sessions, as they were, they were called, which were being put on in response to the fact that, as you probably know, in most professional groups, the obligation to contribute to the development of the next generation is becoming more and more formalised. And obviously in, in, in medicine, it's now written into the curriculum for the primary medical qualification, and then on through foundation, specialist training, and so on. Uh, there's an expectation that the doctor will be a teacher. Now, that's pretty much happening across, across the professions. Um, and I came across them being used, but they, they, they dished out and people would fill them in. Uh, and I was a bit uncertain as to what, where they come from and quite what people were making of them. I started using them in a module called Becoming an Effective Teacher in the Master of Medical Education uh, for certain purposes that I hope will become clear later. Uh, because they were around... They were clearly being used by people, and I thought it was important to engage with them. But quite how, I'll, I'll need to explain a bit later. Here's a few examples of what you might encounter in one of those inventories. These are, so these are items, and they are typically called self-report things. So you read the set of these prompts, and you report your level of agreement. I strongly agree with this statement, or I strongly disagree with it, whatever. Um, or perhaps the frequency with which you uh, actually under undertake whatever the statement refers to. Um, 
The ATI, TPI, PALS and CTCI are there to start you on you know, that feeling of bewilderment at the different acronyms that, that crop up in this field. So it's the approaches to teaching inventory, teaching perspectives inventory, principles of adult learning scale and clinical teacher characteristics index. The one at the bottom. And the one at the bottom there is, is unusual in that it's designed for completion mainly by the student rather than the, the tutor. So the majority is self-report by the tutor, but there's one or two that uh, were completed by the student. And you see, there's, there, there's some thematic continuity there between those, those different prompts. And you might get your, anything between about a dozen and maybe as many as 50 of these items to respond to. Okay. Um, but that begs the question of what a teaching style actually is. There's a nice, easy, kind of plain English definition. Um, and there's a more psychological speak kind of definition. As you look through those, certain problems with the whole notion may be coming to mind. Um, and we'll perhaps come back, come back to that later. So why bother to find anything out about this? Well, as I said, they would seem to be cropping up everywhere. It was uncertain as to where they were coming from and why people were using them in the ways that they were. And there had been, just recently, um, it's not that long ago, Frank Cofield, Catherine Eccleston and other colleagues uh, undertook a critical and systematic review of the learning styles literature, the vast learning styles literature. I don't know, is that familiar with the Cofield review? Any, any, well, it was one kind of semi-long. Okay. Um, well, it was a fairly um, damning review of the literature, pointing to all sorts of problems. Bear in mind that these kinds of instruments around learning styles, which would... Uh, purport to tell people their, their preferred or habitual ways of learning are just all over the globe yeah, in all sorts of formats. They pointed to the psychometric weaknesses, um, too much faith in very, very simple instruments, what is, no clear implications as to how you should use them in, in a coherent theory of teaching. Because they're completed by individuals, they take them at things out of context, depoliticize the learning process. And there's all these different ones, learning styles of this, learning approaches, all this kind of stuff, and there's no theoretical engagement and dialogue between the different research traditions. So, given that problem, and the, the, the obvious kind of step that had been taken by analogy to look at teaching styles have, you know, on the basis of the learning styles literature, that was one reason for having a look at it. Expectations of teachers, there's a lot of emphasis on competence and effectiveness and excellence. So, there must be a relationship between that and teaching styles. There's an impetus there to explore what, what we think a teaching style is and any instruments we might use to, to measure or assess it. Effectiveness of faculty development is a big interest in medical education and I think pretty much an interest everywhere. So in the higher education sector, for example, with the introduction of teacher training programs, clearly there are issues around the, the evidence around the effectiveness of those programs. But it's, there's, a, there's an, uh, a large emerging literature in medical education. Lastly, uh, but by no means least, is evidence-based practice and the whole movement around evidence-based social policy and so on, as well as 
Maybe things like evidence-based medicine. BME, Best Evidence Medical Education, is a consortium which has tried to improve the quality of systematic reviewing of the evidence in, medi in, in medical education, and there are comparable organisations in many fields. So, it's in that, that, that's why I thought it was worth bothering. Teach, we ought to be able to, we ought to know the position of teaching styles, inventories, these, these things that are being used in relation to that background. So these were the tasks I set myself by way of a systematic and, whoops, systematic and critical review. Um, what's actually out there? Yeah. We need to find out how many and what kinds of things there were. Where they came from, their theoretical basis, had they been validated anyway? How are people using them? What they're using them for and what's happening when they use them? And what are the implications of this, both for, particularly for faculty development, teacher education, yeah, and, and further research? Those were the goals I set myself, and I tried to do it systematically. I won't dwell on these. We can come back to them later, but they're mainly there just to convince you I tried to do it properly. Um, so I, you know, I, I tried to adopt you know, uh, good practice in, in, in reviewing from uh, kind of the, the, the literature on uh, systematic reviewing in social sciences and to a certain extent systematic reviewing in medicine. The results... 2,222 titles and abstracts checked, 144 items for full text review. So a bit of work, a bit of work there. Um, problems and limitations? Well, quite a lot of things, well, eight that I haven't tracked down yet, published in, only in conference proceedings that I can't get hold of. A number of things published in books, which are quite tricky to get hold of. That figure's gone down by two since uh, I did a similar uh, talk on this at, at a conference in uh, Association of Medical Education in Europe. So I'm getting, I'm whittling that down. Um, in many cases, ah, the hecklers have arrived. Come on. Yeah. Welcome. Um, in, in some cases, there's, there's simply no publications relating to the development of the instrument at all, so very hard to make any assessment of them, and I haven't had the resource yet to contact the authors. Uh, in relation to the grey literature and websites, well, you can see just the, the string, Teaching Styles Questionnaire, gets 39,500 results on, uh, hits on Google, and that's presumably there would be more once you'd got to 39,499 or whatever, it'll start showing you more. Um, obviously, there's another key limitation, which is that it was me doing it. Um, which was limiting by the fact of my own ineptitude, but also that there's just one person. So it hasn't been uh, unlike the four people who, who reviewed the learning styles literature. So there, it, there hasn't been a co-researcher who I've been able to test out certain categorizations with. Um, and there's bound to be publication bias here, since you wouldn't develop an instrument, well, one might, if one was acting entirely professionally, develop an instrument, bother to write it up and report it, and then actually come to the conclusion that we shouldn't be doing any of this kind of thing at all in the first place. But to give them credit, I did find one. Yeah, Kofin Gibbs, who, to their credit, did try to come up with a, an inventory around teaching method repertoires and decided that it was a well, not a, wa a waste of time. No, it wasn't worth pursuing that, uh, that line, that such inventories weren't going to be of much use in, in faculty development. Okay, now, I've, so I found 52 instruments from all of those uh, uh, texts which I checked, um, excluding an, a certain 
number, I, there's a subtotal of 36, which I think might be of, of, of interest to us, uh, excluding the ones which were specifically about teaching of children, specifically about language teaching, because there are particular inventories relating to communicative me methodology, for example, in language teaching, which are highly, sp highly specialised, and leaving aside the, the instruments relating to particular behaviours. So, for example, teacher confirmation is, is the praise structures going on in a class, but those are research instruments. They're not looking at teaching styles more broadly. They're focused on a particular pattern of interaction in the classroom. So I've ex uh, excluded those. So that left, left 36, and there they are. Um, Three things called teaching styles inventories. Um, some didn't even get a name, just called a questionnaire. Uh, and a, a, a nice array of differently similar things. Okay. And all of them would purport to be relevant to higher and adult education and as I said, when I, when I approached this, it was from the point of view of medical education. But actually, um, there are very few here that are specifically um, about medical education. The clinical teacher characteristics instrument is an obvious example of one. The PBL one, there's an association with, me with medical education, but it's not um, exclusive. So that, that one, you can't tell, Staffordshire Evaluation of Teaching Styles, that was specifically for... Uh, medical professionals, not on the assumption that all medical professionals come from Staffordshire, but that just happens to be wh where the, uh, the, the colleagues in the deanery uh, developed that. Most of them, though, uh, claim a, a broad applicability to adult and higher education. Um, where did they come from? Well, in some cases, you just can't tell where they came from. Uh, there is nothing to tell you just out of the, the head of, of the personal people who put the website up. Um, but there's quite a range behind these instruments from things which those, those first two or three which are particularly around an individual or a group of colleagues attempt to synthesise or distill things from a body of literature through to the large-scale cumulative research programmes which have progressed from qualitative research uh, then into... Uh, the development of inventories which are then tested on small-scale pilots and then taken up to, to whole country-wide kind of populations. So what seems to be the same thing as a teaching-style inventory can be the tip of a, an enormous research programme or something that somebody came up with. Um, so you might encounter something like that on a website, teaching styles... Just as people have individual learning styles, teachers have teaching styles that work best for them. Uh, but you can't tell where those categories come from. There's nothing about the research that informed it. When you click on those links, it just takes you to little potted accounts. So they, there's nothing uh, to tell you where it came from, nothing to explain the evidence, and nothing particularly to guide you as to its use, although it is reasonably clear in context that this is about... Um, self-development as a teacher. Um, there were a, r a range of reasons for developing the, the inventories. That was the, the most common, but they've also been uh, used for a range of, uh, of research looking at relationships between things. I mean, that's an interesting one at the bottom. Teaching styles and occupational stress. 
So I've been used for a, a wide range of, of research. Um, and this one, teaching styles of different teacher groups, so compare, comparing people from science disciplines, physical sciences versus humanities, for example. And also there's been comparisons between uh, the teachers on the preclinical parts of a med medical course and the later stages of the course, between the basic science teachers, for, for example, in one case, and the clinici and clinicians teaching, teaching later. Okay, so some interesting results. But there's also quite a lot seem to have been put out there in order, as, as part of a, a commercial activity. Um, and that's obviously also true of the learning styles field, where there are you know, industries around learning styles inventories. Uh, so you would, might encounter this training style analysis. I think it's pretty clear what kind of thing that's appealing to. And it manages with these little pictures and th things th say things like conformity, responsibility, creativity, motivation. Up here you've got a brain with hemispheric dominance and an analyst versus ho holists. Quite what the theoretical kind of background to all that is, I wouldn't like to say, except it's a pretty good mishmash of just about everything you could think of that might be associated with, with training or training styles. I may be doing it an injustice, but I wasn't prepared to pay the money to go and get at the stuff that's underneath. Yeah. You can only get to the, the, uh, the kind of the, the top level. And of course it uses a pyramid. Yeah, don't we? Everything has to use a pyramid, doesn't it, or a cycle or something like that. So it, there's, it's, 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 it's playing certain games with, with, with graphics to suggest some kind of conceptual orientation around this, but how that works is not explained, or what the evidence is based on is not explained. So a quick map of the liter literature. Okay, if we take the learner, there's the literature there... I'm simplifying enormously, and apologies to colleagues who are familiar with different onion models and different things from, from learning styles. Basically, you have got the hardwired stuff, um, which uh, is, is, is in there cognitively and which uh, might lend us to be people who look at the whole of a of, of, a, of a, something you want to, information you want to process or something you want to understand, you tend to look at the whole and then from that go on to analyse afterwards or the other way around, people who are looking for detail and then only subsequently would make some kind of step to, to try and synthesise that into, into an overall picture. So those, those kind of more hardwired things which are unlikely to be amenable to change, um, those kind of sit within a broader concept of learning style where clearly one's cognitive style is important, but there are all sorts of other things uh, about one's experiences, one has a bit of ways of doing things and learning, which, which might form part of a learning style. All this has got to have the... the it should really be in, in quote marks, though. That's to allow for the fact that, you know, although I've called it learning style there, there are other bits of style terminology that crop up. But it's a, it's a concept that's bigger than, than cognitive style. And obviously, teachers have that. You know, we're also learners and so on, so every, every teacher also may have a cognitive style in their own learning style, but that doesn't explain their teaching. Okay? It's bound to be part of it, but there's something about teaching style which is bigger and other than one's cognitive and, and learning style. And what the literature... So, that's, so people have written things engaging with elements of, yeah, of that picture. Uh, the relationships between... Teaching styles and learning styles is another area of the, of the literature. 
relating all those things to a context is the, it's the other part, stepping back. And that might be a disciplinary context, or it might be, I mean by that, not discipline in the sense of uh, 50 lashes. I mean sub-professions, fields, or whatever. Um, uh, higher education versus adult education and so on. They're looking at these, the, the, these things as a sets of relationships between teaching, learning, and, and environment. Um, the example I mentioned of a cumulative research program has very much looked at the, 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 this whole picture as a set of relationships rather than any kind of simple cause and effect thing. You know, if you teach like this, people will learn better. Or if the learner's like this, you must teach like this. Yeah, it's looking at a whole set of interrelationships. Uh, so some quick findings. that Here's where it could do with another researcher involved in the review. But my, uh, my feeling is that there are two very broad dimensions to which a lot of this relates. A teacher-focused information transfer dimension and a student-focused conceptual change dimension. And a lot of the, the things that come out of searching starts can be related to those two very broad dimensions. Um, there seems to be a, a, a desire on, some, on the part of some researchers to fix teaching styles, whereas others say, no, it's, very, it's completely dependent on the, on, on the content and the context. Um, my feeling is that we ought to look at the dependencies rather than fixed traits or whatever. That, that it's important to look at the subject nature and the, the context in which the teaching is taking place. There is a matching hypothesis that says that matching teaching styles with learning styles leads to better outcomes. That isn't supported in the literature. Yeah. In, in, yeah. the, the, a review of the literature does not find evidence to support that. Uh, Cofield and uh, colleagues who did the review of learning styles looked at that back in 2004 came to that conclusion. I've checked the literature since 2004 and there is no further evidence to suggest that there is a, a general matching hypothesis is sustainable. But there is support in, in, the, in the literature that where we've got basically one-to-one roles, yeah. matching exercises can lead to better outcomes. Okay. Uh, that was a finding of the COFOD review and the studies on that which have, that have been published since uh, also uh, take that view. So it's, there, there, there haven't been uh, studies since then which would put the counter view. That's obviously a, a very particular context, mentoring, supervising, preceptor roles rather than the more general teaching role. Yeah. So if I'm a teacher and I'm teaching a subject and Sit and listen. There's a kind of a, a commonsensical association there, but the, the evidence doesn't support it. That, that, uh, that, that, that actually, and that it were one to try to, apart from its complete unfeasibility, were one to, where, where people have tried to con, uh, have contrived situations to test that, the, the actual outcomes in terms of learning haven't showed any, any benefits with matching. Uh, okay. So, some big problems. The psychometrics, none of the teaching styles inventories that I found would fully satisfy the criteria used by Cofield and colleagues in their review of learning styles, which if you don't know about that, is a pretty meaningless conclusion to you. But uh, it's quite important that that, uh, we don't go away thinking that the teaching styles uh, literature is somehow building on an existing secure foundation with the learning styles literature. Quite the contrary. Yeah. 
Having said that, Cofield's criteria, they, they, are, they confess that they're very, very exacting. For example, it includes that there must be independent validation. So, in a lot of research traditions, you tend to get the originators of things, test them out, and then their PhD students do the follow-up studies. Yeah. Uh, for that would not be independent enough for Cofield and so on. So, so it's not to say there are no reasonably um, good psychometric um, reports on some of these instruments, but there aren't any that have been fully validated in Cofield sense by independent researchers. The terminology is a, is a, is a big problem. Um, that, whole, that de definition of style that I put up at the beginning, that whole mixture of beliefs, attitudes, intentions, but also behaviours is problematic. <coughs> now, psychologists have an understanding, a technical understanding around the word style, and no doubt if we've got psychologists here, they, we could have a, uh, a detailed disputation about that. But for the rest of us, um, style is a, is a bit distracting as a term, when it's used in so many different ways by the people producing the, these inventories and commenting on them. Um, some of them fit the definition that I showed you earlier, um, but actually use a different term. They don't refer to styles. Others use the term style, but have, have nothing to do with the definition that I offered you, or there's a very, very partial part, uh, kind of interpretation. Effectiveness. Some big issues around effectiveness. Are all teaching styles equally effective? Um, some of the, the proponents of, of, of the teaching styles say, uh, yeah, they are. Hey, man. Anything goes. You know, you teach the way you want to teach. That's all, it's all good, man. Whereas, um, obviously, they're, they're the evidence-based practice movement is looking to identify what is actually effective, what, what works, and that may result in some really quite difficult conclusions for people. And that's where uh, it's in, it, the use of these inventories in, in faculty development, I think, could be useful. I'll come back to that. There's the problem of the simplify, simplifications with, uh, with the categories as well. Labeling. Do you want to be labelled as a legislator or a delegator or a facilitator, or do you, or a no-nonsense, straight facts teacher? That, that, that these are actually rather crude, reductive labels, and that's led some people to reject the the entire approach, and say that you know, we should not be using these kinds of things at all. Yeah, they are without foundation, and they give a, a, a view of teaching that is crude, doesn't speak to its multifaceted, differentiated nature. Okay. The question is then, well, okay, well, what evidence are we looking for? And what I'm reflecting on, on what I found, there's the evidence base around the instrument, its psychometric properties, but then there's the evidence around the use of the instrument. So we've got the possibility, is it possible that an instrument that is not psychometrically validated could be used effectively and achieve useful outcomes? Now, unfortunately, the evidence to support that isn't there. It, we know it's, it's be, they're being used, but there isn't evidence to, to, to point very conclusively, certainly not that would satisfy people who are, who are into evidence-based policy, that use of those teaching styles inventories is definitely a good thing. Um, which leaves us with the possibility that they have heuristic value, yeah, that there is a heuristic, there is, there is a kind of work-a-day rule of thumb process going on here that is, suits the teaching process, which is highly complex, and that people are making judgments on the basis of these heuristics. The problem is, when will they distort judgments and bias learning, and when will they be beneficial? If we focus on the use in the faculty development, there's a common picture there, I think, about it being an initiating tool. Yeah. So you complete one of these inventories, 
It tells you your score, and that's an initiation of a dialogue or a process of scrutiny and, and self-examination or, or, or peer discussion. Whether you want to call it a values clarification exercise or a phenomenographic pedagogic discussion, depends where you're coming from, I guess. Um, but there's that, that common idea in a lot of the literature that it's about a trigger, it's about a, an initiation of a process. Have any of you come across instrumented learning? I hadn't, but apparently there is a, a view that, of use of these kinds of tools in learning. I, it hasn't gone very far. That's the latest reference I've found. I haven't been able to get that book yet. Um, so it, it obviously didn't get, get much favour in, in the 70s, but maybe its time uh, has come. Um, so so the, the use around trigger and values clarification seems to have a lot of uh, support in the literature and certainly amongst a lot of people involved in, in faculty development. So let's just place that in context. Where would that triggering happen? Um, here's just one framework for critical reflection, Brookfield's four lenses. So the, the inventory would come when you are looking at your teaching practice through the autobiographical lens. So you're trying to look at those things which are personal to you. So, if I quickly... That's my teaching perspectives profile from 2006, when I gave it a try. So it, it gives me a... No, I certainly don't want to do that. Find and replace my teaching style. Nope. Um, oh. It doesn't want a point without... Ah, this is Microsoft Word, isn't it? It doesn't want a point without offering me that. Okay. Never mind. So I will have to point. Okay, excuse me. In this direction. Transmission, apprenticeship, developmental, nurturing, social reform. Those were some of the ones I, sh I showed you earlier. Um, so my scores show that I have a dominant perspective in developmental, um, whereas transmission, despite what I'm doing at this moment, is a recessive perspective for me. And those are relative to the answers I put in. So, for example, these boundaries move relative to the, to, to the responses I make. Um, so I did another one more recently. Let's try that. 2008. Where well, I'm even more developmental now than I was. Uh, and the lines have shifted. Okay. The trouble is that the statistics that underlie that have never been published. So you can't scrutinise the algorithms or the, the processes that underlie that, that scoring. Okay. But for each of those uh, perspectives, there is, a, there is a profile statement of a few paragraphs as to what these characteristics are. So if we go back to the consideration of how we might use it, at the... You know, the autobiographical lens, I get that. If I do it with a peer group as well, I've got the opportunity to reflect on what it's telling me. Does that seem to fit? Does that seem to, to, to reflect my practice, what I think I'm doing and what I want to do? And then, if, if, a, if a group do it, there's opportunity for comparison. So, for example, with the, the, the medics that I, I worked with over a few years... Um, it was, I was able to feed back the norms from their own pr you know, previous groups into the next group 
to, to, to reflect on the fact why was, were no, there no medics with social reform out of the recessive perspective? Did that matter at all? And how, how, how might things change? What did that reflect about the profession? What did that reflect about the instrument? But we also needed to look at where the instrument came from. So the theoretical lens, the theories and evidence. Yeah, so Brookfield's offering this away to help people progress as teachers in areas where the, the evidence just isn't there. We don't have educational evidence that can guide all of our practice. It's mediated by values and contexts. So this offered a framework that enabled the, the, the medical educators to confront some of these things. They're not keen, they were not keen on unstructured introspection, okay? <coughs> They're trained to practice medicine. Navel-gazing is not up their street, yeah? And why should it be? So that these tools have had a value as triggers because they may not like navel-gazing, but they like getting a score, okay? On something. So there were certain motivational devices being triggered there. The problem is if you leave them there, yeah? Because there is no... These things are not validated instruments. You cannot get a, a, a right answer. What you need is a trigger that will then be compared with the peers, look, to, look at the evidence behind the different instruments to see, well, what, where can we get evidence in education? What does it point to and where can't we? And it seems to me quite important to take into account where you would do that. And there, there are practices going on now where people are issued with these inventories as a bit of fun in short workshops. <coughs> And I think that the, the evidence that I reviewed and my experience in faculty development suggests that we think very carefully before doing that. Because what that could, although it's a bit of fun at the time, it leaves unanswered the question about where those inventories came from and it encourages a rather commonsensical and, and, and f at best fun-oriented view of how you, of you develop as a teacher rather than engaging with what actually could be really rather tricky things that come out from this. So if you, people who come out strongly on the transmission module and perspectives and look at, the, look at that against some of the evidence that, that is available in medical education, you've got a very problematic yeah, clash there. And people need help to work through that in an atmosphere where they're challenged, not written off. Oh, you're a transmission. Yeah, you, you, all you transmission people go and sit at the back of the room. You're never going to be any good as a teacher. But so we don't want that. But equally, we don't want... as as Pratt had claimed, he came up with that, that no, this is all good, this is all good. We've got to have something in the middle that engages with both the, the values of the individual and the evidence and theory and uses peers and students as, as other perspectives yeah, to challenge practice. Okay. The, for me, there's an opportunity at the... At the uh, obviously, again, apologies for gross simplifications. In this process, in the middle here somewhere, between novice and expert, people on a medical education master's degree, for example, should not just be slightly better teachers at the end. Yeah? There should be something more going on. So it, it's at that kind of trigger point where you get something back purporting to be about you as an individual, but then you have to engage with it. The theories underlying it, the evidence, where did it come from? What does that mean for me, my colleagues, my students, and for practice more generally? Okay. So if we just, clo I'll just close with one little example of where, where, where some of this may need to go in the future, and if I get the time, I'd like to do some follow-up work. I mentioned the Staffordshire Evaluation of Teaching Styles. Came up with all these slightly peculiar labels for style. Yeah. 
They look more like occasions than styles. Yeah? Your one-off teacher or preferences, with the exception of perhaps, sorry, perhaps number one there. The big conference teacher, the one-off teacher, they're, 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 it, there are some problems there around, around those descriptors and the, and the kind of the vignettes that go with them. But to be fair to Mahana and Mahana and colleagues, this is a, 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 uh, a set of categories where you can review the research that, that informed them. Yeah. They have published papers. They have made clear the statistical processes they went through and so on. So it's extremely useful because not only does it have an inventory which you can use with people learning to be teachers, it also publishes research. So you can get them to apply their critical appraisal skills to that research and then think about the, the implications of that. Those of you who've done a, a learning styles inventory will probably have scored it and, for me, and many of them involve some kind of some kind of graphical representation. This is, goes back to Kolb, maybe Kolb and, and learning styles and the learning cycle. There is, whether it has any basis or not, Cofield's review suggests not much basis, but there is a theory here about going round an experiential learning cycle, which if you have heard of, great, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I haven't got time to, to explain it. But yeah, the, we're having an experience, reflecting on it, conceptualising on it, then planning to do active experimentation, experimentation to explore it further and then coming back around the cycle. These little black things are, are, are numbers where you, you complete an inventory, you plot your score on these axes, and then you draw your kite. Okay? And arguably... It, that space in there has a meaning. Arguably it does, because there is a cycle. These quadrants have a significance in that cycle, and it tells you, arguably, if you accept the theory, something about a broad tendency and preference in experiential learning. Okay. This is the one from the Staffordshire um, Evaluation and Teaching Styles, where you do a similar plotting. Now, I'd just invite you to look at that and think, what does that space mean? Answers on it. Yeah, you've, you, you've, you've done a... You've, completed, you've answered a number of questions. Those get scored. The questions are selected to relate to these teaching styles. And depending on what your answers are to the questions, you'll get a score. You plot it on the axis, on the relevant axis. Then what? Okay. Is, can anybody dis discover any meaning in that? Uh huh. So this. That, the answer, the answer is I don't know because that isn't even mentioned in the literature around this this tool. There is no, just do it, score it, look at your picture. Okay, fine. Um, we have to know a bit more about what 
Because there are five of those, so they're yeah. That would be a, that, that's got a, that has meaning. So that's how I would interpret it, but it doesn't make sense to me. No, and that's the answer, and the reason for that is because it, that's not the case. There, it, it, there is no, but. It's also Uh, that, that's, I'm afraid that that's a perfectly fair comment, but uh, it's, that's a product of the lack of information I've given you, um, so that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't be an inference one would draw if, if you'd had the opportunity to, re to read the paper. But bear in mind that people use these inventories without giving the accompanying papers. It does, that's perhaps an example of where somebody left to their own devices with it could easily, that's a perfectly sensible interpretation. Sharon, yours is a... Is, very sensible and entirely within the spirit of, of these kinds of representations like, like the, uh, the one from Cole, where there is a, a meaningful relationship between the, the thing. Whether you think it's his sound is a different matter, but there is a, a meaningful relationship between the quadrants and there is a cyclical process implicit. It's a good question. I've got, a, I've got it here. We can have a look, Amanda, later. Yeah. Um, so that I think the, the simple point is that, that, the, that the use of graphics and how people interpret them is unexplored. There is a, there's, there's commonly a, a lack of explanation or theorizing of what the role of these graphic representations is. It's a, just basically limited to, you know, rather than just look at figures, let's put it on a picture because that, you know, that, that helps. Well, there's something behind that, but it... It's, it's a trivialising exercise unless there is some exploration of the meaning. And I think in this particular case, one would struggle. And I think it is open to the kind of difficulties interpretation. But at the moment, I haven't done the research to actually find out what the people who've done this thought their pictures meant. It's, no. There, there, there haven't been any, any follow-up studies with large populations that would, that would, that would tell you that. Yeah. Yes. That would be. I mean, obviously, one would have to have time to to read. But but no, that's right. This is interpretable within a theoretical framework. Okay. Now, where those, those categories came from and the theories around experiential learning is another question about what the evidence is, but there is an explicit purpose for completing the diagram and there is a theoretical relationship between yeah, these axes and in, in the context of experiential learning, there is a meaning about that space relative to a process. And some people may be helped... Yeah. in conceptualising experiential learning process by a graphical representation like that. Now, whether they would then read it, understand it, reject it, is what that doesn't really matter, if you see what I mean. Um, but, but it does have 
a basis which is interpretable and can be critiqued. Whereas this one is open to all of the suggestions we've had so far. There is no, nothing explicit about it. And it is not really possible to... Rec it doesn't have a theoretical basis at all. So it makes one wonder, what are people... Because this has been done by analogy with that. That's the trouble. Um, so what, the, what, what are people making of it? I don't want to make too much of that, but just illustrative of the, of the fact that there are, there's further work that I think needs to be done around how people are using different tools and different instruments to, to help themselves develop as teachers. And in selecting them as teacher educators or faculty developers, um, we need to be looking for all these chinks in the process, all these little gaps and, and problems of interpretation, and making sure we encourage people to engage with them and try to use them productively. So a few conclusions. There are some instruments that completely shouldn't be being used at all. You know, they don't have any basis. They don't say where they come from. They have their, their, and they should not be, be being used, in my opinion, and they are. We need to get, get rid of the term style, if we can, or be very, very careful about it, because it's, it's, it's con confusing. When we select them, we need to think about what's the point in this teacher's development? Are they in their first encounters with formalised faculty development or teacher education? In which case we've got to be careful about the impl implicit messages we give in using fun activities yeah, that, that fail to activate people's kind of uh, more sophisticated understanding and critique. Keep things within a, an overall framework for reflection development and exploit it as a catalyst, I think, for the relationship between evidence and values. Obviously, we need more research. So if anybody would like to follow up, if you can, could bear to look at a full list of the inventories or associated references, I'd be very happy to share them with you. Um, if, there are, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, we didn't find the such and such and such and such inventory, please drop me, let me know now or drop me an email, and I'll be very pleased to, to follow it up. Thank you. Thank you.